0: Hello and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast. My name is Stephen Ralston and we're recording this episode on the Monday afternoon after Manchester United's 2-1 win against Aston Villa at Villa Park at the weekend. Um, I'm joined by Tyrone Marshall. There's no Samuel Lockhurst today. Um, for personal reasons, he's unavailable, unfortunately. But
1: Tyrone, you're in the hot seat. How are you? I'm good. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah, I'm good. Grateful for the last-minute call-up. Having dashed here from Manchester City's Open training. They're playing in the Champions League this week what's the Champions League no idea never heard of it United are going to be back in the Champions League anyways after that
0: result there you go Uh, it's nice to rekindle our relationship Tyrone I've missed you it's been a while it has it's been a while nice (laughs) to see you in person again Um, anyways to the listeners in this episode we'll get into the Villa performance Uh, a fantastic win really important crucial three points and at the back end of the podcast we'll talk about some transfer bits and just a quick note from the editor if you're watching on YouTube apologies if the light is changing the sun is coming through the window and I've been told there's
1: nothing we can do about it because producer seb isn't god tyrone he, no he acts he like it sometimes but he definitely isn't god and also son in manchester in february we can't really complain can we some very much needed vitamin d i think anyways ty six undefeated in all competitions
0: three wins on the bounce another really positive podcast it's fantastic
1: yeah yeah it is it's going it's going very well isn't it they are um like you say they've definitely put themselves back in the top four race i don't you know, I don't think by any stretch things are perfect um, You know, when that game went 1-1 yesterday I don't think anyone thought there's only one winner in it's United with, with the way it was going but they did win and I think you know, I, I kind of win this speak today I think the biggest they've kind of shown their biggest strength over the last couple of weeks and that's character all of a sudden like the what happened at Wolves the way they were cruising they threw it away and then found a way to win it at Villa I mean they were never cruising really they were under a lot of pressure conceded and as soon as they conceded i think we all thought that they're going to lose this game and they found a way to win it and at the moment they are showing a stomach for the fight they're showing character they've got players you know the the guy the guy over your shoulder on the wall there casemiro who's you know, he's playing a lot better than he was in the first half of the season, but he brings that kind of character and fight as well. I mean, him and Fernandes just moaned and complained about everything in midfield yesterday. And I know we're critical of that sometimes, but that kind of spikiness did feel like it worked yesterday. Hoyland has never lacked for character and attitude, but we're seeing more of it now, I think. and Now he's in form with his goals. Like, even just the way he went off when he was sobbed yesterday, just like arguing with everyone, Did you see him up the everyone. clip of... <laughs> People thought it was a, a member
0: of Villa's staff. I think it was actually a fan wearing like a Villa coat.
1: But I wondered what it was. I wasn't sure if it was a ball boy yeah. or
0: something, <laughs> just
1: giving him loads of grief
0: behind. It would be yeah. a disgrace if that was like a, a member of Villa's sure. staff. No, I think it was a fan. <laughs> I think it was a fan in the official, official yeah, gear. Yeah. But he was giving Holland a mouthload of abuse, wasn't he? Yeah. I think Holland just kind of laughed. I think he actually put his hands up to say. 2-1 or something, or oh, I can't remember yeah, at that point, yeah. but
1: an interesting uh, little observation. It, um, yeah, I mean, it, and it was, like that moment was funny because he was clearly taking forever to go off the pitch, Wanted to go off a different way, he squared up to one of the Villa players, just general time-wasting, but you see in that kind of edge and that spikiness, which I think we've always seen in Hoyland's game, but it feels like there's a lot of that running through the team at the moment. You know, M- Maguire's leadership feels like it's back, now his form is back, he's, you know, he was talking to the ref a lot yesterday, he... He was, you know, he was looking more like a captain than he did. Than I, he sent a j- the captain. I sent a
0: jokey message during the game to Liam Colas, actually, obviously formerly of the man, and I said, Maguire's the de facto captain yeah. of us in yeah. the game?
1: That's yeah. what it felt like. It did. and It, it felt like he was more demonstrative then than, it, than he ever was when he was captain. And I think that's partly because he's got his confidence back. He's playing really, really well at the moment. And I think, you know, I mean, I don't want to be negative from the, from the get-go. I think there's still, there are still issues there that are concerning me, but... The fact that they are showing this character and they're getting wins and they've had you know those three successive wins are against teams who at the time were rivals with them really Wolves could have gone above them if they'd won West Ham were above United Villa still are above United and they've beaten them all and and found ways to win really in two of those games when it's felt like they'd they'd kind of missed their chance and I think I think Wolves and Villa are probably his two best away wins in in Tanag's entire tenure so there is, there's definitely more momentum now than at any stage since since the first weekend of the season.
0: Is that the best away win of his tenure yet? Oh, mm-hmm. among, yeah, definitely. I mean, considering Villa are the best home team in the Premier League this season, very few teams have actually gone there and got a result. Have wobbled a little bit recently, yeah, but yeah. we'll yeah. not mention yeah. that. <laughs> 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 um, goals ultimately ultimately decide the narrative. I mean, Villa could have scored, as you said, themselves, so piling on the pressure, weren't they? I mean, coming in at half-time, it could have been 1-1. And it did feel like that goal was coming after the break. Obviously, Douglas Luiz equalised. And after that, I think that, like you said, I think we all thought Villa would get the goal. But it was United who did. Um, Let's discuss the actual goal itself then. I mean, we've briefly touched on Hoyland, but we'll talk about McTominay first. Um, There was kind of a a speck of ball forward from Casemiro. And I just mentioned before we came on, Kobe Mianu's involvement, which I think it's probably went under the radar. His, His touch was actually, he took it inwards towards the goal. And a lot of players in that position might have panicked. Um, and Douglas was standing on, but he kind of turned back out I think there was an element of fortune with it because it, it kind of went off Jacob Ramsey but anyways all went to Diego Dalla what a cross Tyrone a, a perfect cross it was David Beckham wasn't it yeah. and a powerful header from Scott McTominay who does it again I know I think yeah. me and you were on the Brentford podcast in October yeah, yeah. when it was 2-1 yeah, yeah. and, and yeah. McTominay scored the brace yeah
1: remarkable absolutely yeah and you know, I mean every time he plays he's getting a lot he's getting into dangerous positions McTominay at the moment and you know, I mean there's a few things within that the, the substitutions that, that kind of happened at the same time when Bailey went off for Villa and Rashford went off for McTominay for United they both kind of changed the game in that at, at that point the flow was all Villa attacking United and Bailey was at the heart of a lot of it he gave Lindelof a, a pretty horrible time really but it did feel like at that point Villa kind of started to settle for a draw and, I think both sides did didn't they? Yeah, I think they both did a little bit yeah the tempo definitely dropped a bit and I think that was mostly down to Villa because it was Villa setting the tempo at that point and it, it kind of felt like the game was there to be won for Villa and it was almost like they they made that change. And I, I don't know if they made that change with the intention of holding on because you could see you know Emery started to get a bit more agitated on the touchline at the way things were going, but the change didn't work for them. And even the change for United, you look at it and you think mm, McTominay for Rashford is a defensive change, but... We've seen what a threat McTominay can be in the final third. Well, you made the season. point,
0: I think it was after that podcast, I say, after the Brentford game, that Sir Alex Ferguson would have always made a role in his yeah, teams yeah. for someone like McTominay. And we talked about his merits and these attacking scenarios coming late in the box. And he's now got seven league goals and that's more, I think, than his last three seasons combined in the league. He scored six in his last three
1: seasons, which it's, he's in the form of his life, isn't he, in front of goal. Oh, absolutely really? yeah absolutely you know scored a scored a header at wolves when he came on scored a header at villa now when he's come on and a, you know a, a great person to have when you can name nine subs these days because as we've seen he can come on and be an attacking threat you can play him as a number 10 you can play him as a second striker to win headers you can play him in really advanced areas and although he's maybe not technically the best, what he is good at is finding space and, and positions to get shots away. And he's, you know, he's always been really good at kind of picking those m- moments and those runs to make around the area. Ten he says he can smell a goal, can't he? Yeah, he's used that definitely. word a few times. Yeah, the you can definitely sense that, that he, he just knows where the ball's going to go and what position to be. And he's really good at finding that space. But he, we know he can probably help come on and help shut a game down as well. He, if United had been winning that game, he could have come on for Rashford and, and played deeper. So... Definitely someone to have around the, the the building, for sure. And on Dallow, I thought the, the interesting thing with that cross is that they'd actually had a dangerous attack, maybe maybe even pretty much the, straight, the same move, but a minute and a half before maybe, where Dallow was in a really good crossing position and t- tried to take his man on. I think it might have been Dinya at the time, and tried to take his man on and just, he made the wrong decision in taking him on, and it kind of lacked conviction. I think you might want to throw in from it. But... There was it, it was a, a dangerous counter-attack really it felt like um, it felt like Dallow just got it wrong he took the wrong decision in taking his man on he couldn't work half a yard and he couldn't get his crossing and then you know 90 seconds two minutes later the ball falls to him and he puts a ball like that in which whether it's Hoyland whether it's McTominay it was just absolutely asking to be attacked you put your can, head on that yeah you? yeah You're, as a striker or a forward your eyes would light up when a ball like that comes in Obviously, we've talked about how many
0: goals McTominay scored, but kind of the, the importance of those goals is Bruce against Brentford in October, that was 2-1, obviously he scored both. He scored twice against Chelsea in December, that was 2-1 again. And then he scored ahead, obviously, against Villa, 2-1 again. So that's nine points. If you take away his two goals in both the games against um, Brentford and Chelsea, I mean that's just one point, really, isn't it, for that from that run. So that's a huge difference. United are on 41 points now and they're in six. I know football's not that simple, but if you took away those goals, because other players could have scored in those yeah, games. Yeah, they could. But if, if, if they didn't, United would be sitting in ninth and they would be on 33 points. Mm. So, and considering this was a player who could have left in the summer and Tenog was open to selling, he's made such a
1: difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it is the case that, that some players just do score more important goals than others. You know, it's always been the case that, that players, there are certain players that feel like they, they step up at, at the moments when they're most needed. And I think McTominay. Might is... I leave five aside? like you at 5-a-side. I'm not done
0: uh, attacking your ankles?
1: Yeah, mostly mostly you are attacking people's ankles, so <laughs> I'll have to keep an eye out for the moments when you're stepping up instead. But no, I think McTominay falls into that category that when the, when the going gets tough and there's, you know, it, it, the game needs someone to make an impact, then he is often there and, and can be that man, and we saw it with this goal. We saw it at Wolves in a way, because although so much happened after that, it felt like at the time his goal, his header to make it 3-1, which was a really good header, Really strange watching that live because it was one of those where had no idea from behind how it had actually gone in. And then you see it and how he's kind of cushioning the head of someone jumping in front of him. But at the time it felt like, with Wolves having just scored, United going 3-1 up, it was like, well, he's killed the game off now. And obviously he hadn't, but it, it still felt like an important goal at the time. And, you know, I think he's definitely someone who, who kind of senses the moment and, and senses the hour of need, as he did against Brentford, of course. That was most famous one.
0: Well, end uh, this part by talking a bit of, uh, about Hoyland, of course. I mean, five goals in five games now. We wondered when it would click. We said it was only a matter of if, not when. And it really has clicked in, in an emphatic manner now. It's great to see him scoring because the potential was always, always there. But he's playing with real confidence and swagger
1: now. And that was a scruffy centre forwards goal. And I love how he scores those type of goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're seeing a lot more of them. that his goal at Wolves was, was like that. Scruffy just muscle. bundling it over the line, finding a way to get it over the line. And he he had a pretty good opportunity before that goal when I thought he'd actually done really well to create it. It's pressed he won the ball in a really dangerous area, got the ball back from Fernandes and then just couldn't really get it out of his feet. But yeah, it was, it was right place, right time, really. And I think for a, long, for a long time, United have lacked a striker that kind of that does that. I mean, was not the type of goal that you can imagine Anthony Martial ever scoring or Rashford, really. You know, Cavani... Did score goals like that but obviously his impact was was pretty brief really um, so it's, it's promising to have a player like that and you know it is it is amazing how that goal at Ville, against Villa on Boxing Day has just changed it yeah, but we, we said that though one goal can change everything it can it gets yeah. your confidence it spikes your confidence it gets you going and look at him now he's flying isn't yeah, he it is yeah he really is and then the strange thing is that you didn't you didn't watch Hoyland in those 10-11 games when he didn't score and think he is lacking confidence and you know, I asked Anag about it after Wolves actually, and uh, to talk about his, his character and his attitude, really, rather than like his, his technical traits. And he was full of praise for it, and about how he, you know, when when things weren't going well for him, he never went missing. He still took on chances, he still took on shots, he still got in the right areas. There was never really a moment when he looked like a player on a long goal right. Um And sometimes, I guess, sometimes just the way it goes that suddenly everything you hit goes in and that's that's what we're seeing at the moment. And it's huge for United because there'd have been, you know, around Christmas, New Year, any of have been looking at that thinking, right, we need a striker in the summer and we might need a hundred million striker. We might need an, an Osman type who can lead the line. Whereas now they're looking at it and going, well maybe this guy is actually ready to to lead the line. You know, I think he's had to do more this season than United would have wanted or expected um, and more than probably is fair on him because let's not forget he's still pretty inexperienced. But the way it's going at the moment, you wouldn't worry about it if he was a starting striker next season. I don't think he looks—he looks kind of ready to take that mantle on. though.
0: still only 21 as well. Obviously celebrated his birthday last weekend. Um, I mean, he's coming to the boil at the right time, isn't he? Uh, it's the business end of the season. It's a cliche, but if you want your striker to start scoring, it's this time of year, heading into March, April, when the games actually mean something. So that's great to see as well. Uh, we'll leave it there for part one and be back in a moment for part two. Welcome back to part two of the Manchester is Red podcast now I think I we'll have to give a mention to Harry Maguire as well Tyrone it was exceptional um, <clears throat> pardon me obviously Lissandra Martinez has come out of the team with injuries expected to be sidelined for around eight weeks um, Maguire started on the left ran on the right obviously Luke Shaw was at left back again um, but Maguire just won absolutely everything in the air didn't he he was imperious really at both ends defensively and attacking scenarios and it was his header from the corner I can't remember who was marking him from the corners uh, Kamara and that was such a Mismatch was it? Yeah. Gary Neville wouldn't shut up about it on commentary, but yeah. but it was a mismatch, um, and he won the header that
1: Highland scored from. Yeah. I just thought he's fantastic. Yeah, he was really good. You know, fantastic defensively. Just so few errors in his game at the moment, and we've spoken about it a couple of times on the podcast. I think he deserves so much praise for the way he's gone about things this season. And we spoke about it when he wasn't playing well, and when he was, on, when he was even when he wasn't playing well, the criticism he got was so over the top, and the way. You know, I, I described him as a pantomime villain and, and that's what he was for a long time. You know, he was... The, the pre-season tours when he's been booed, um, you know, when he was when he came on for England at Scotland and was just... Yeah, that was as recently
0: as... Was that September? September, I was yeah. that. And, and it was, was the it. same when he
1: came on against Arsenal, came on for United against Arsenal, when the game was level. And Arsenal fans just cheered his every touch, like they knew a mistake was coming. And it was just really, really strange how this... 80 million pound defender, how get who is not worth 80 million pound, but just how he become this figure of fun basically. Well, two
0: reasons: one, he plays for Manchester United;
1: yeah. two, he's
0: English. I mean, that obviously, if you go to Scotland, that comment applies more than when you when you're south of the border. Yeah. But if you play for United, you are going to be a target, and I guess a few high profile mistakes in a 80 million player. But, but again, the kind of, as you said, the criticism, it spilt over into
1: personal stuff, didn't it? It was personal vitro, Yeah. and it was bang out of order. It did go too far. Oh, totally over the top. And, you know, I thought Gareth Southgate was really good at pointing it out, actually, and how this kind of monster had been created around Maguire that he was just there to be ridiculed and, and poked fun at. And don't get me wrong, when he plays badly, we can say he plays badly. But some of, the, you know, some of the abuse he got, some of the stick he got, and not, you know, him being cheered by Scotland and Arsenal fans isn't really abuse, but... It's just like parody, isn't it? It's like Mickey taking and Just I think so one weird. of those
0: incidents on its own is you, just, you don't think anything of it. But yeah. it was the fact that all these things came together, don't you? Yeah. and, and yeah. that, yeah, pantomime villain's is a pantomime
1: villain is what it is. Yeah, and it takes it takes a player of immense character, I think, to get over that. And it would have been so easy for him in the summer just to say, like, right, this ain't working. I need to get out of being the centre of attention here and go and play for West Ham under the radar, where not every game is first or second on match of the day and they might do 30 seconds on it and they're not talking about me. Um, but he didn't, he stuck it out. He had belief that he'd win his place back and he's been absolutely fantastic and he did. You know, he was, he was great again on on um, Sunday. And I did, I, we spoke, me and Rich spoke on the podcast on Friday about how they'd missed Martinez and especially kind of from a, an attacking sense, but it didn't really feel like they did miss him that much. It, it felt like United kind of covered for his absence pretty well. That's because of Luke Shaw though, isn't it as well? I mean, Maguire is a competent passer. I've always thought he's actually really good yeah, on
0: the ball. True. Martinez is another level. He's, he's just brilliant with the ball at his feet. But we'll, we'll, that's a nice little segue. We'll discuss Luke Shaw then. He came off with an injury at half time. I think many people feared the worst. Ten Og said in his post-match press conference, it was just a precaution because of his, uh, his injury history and record. Hopefully he'll be available for Luton at the weekend. Um, but losing Martinez and then potentially Shaw picking up a little niggle, those two players are so key to how the team wants to build up and pass the ball. And it would be a massive
1: blow to lose him, wouldn't it? Yeah, I thought it was noticeable second half how... how You could really see the difference. Yeah, how the play suffered by having four right-footed defenders, that it really did restrict their options playing from the back. And, you know, I think, I think they looked OK without Martinez. I think the game probably suited them because the there's less build-up play against Villa because the way you get at Villa is by just going like that over the top and quick attacking yeah, back quickly. Front really, yeah, isn't it, back transition quickly you don't take 30 passes against Villa to get yourselves in the right position you win the ball and you go especially with the front three United have got so I think there's you know I, I don't think that was necessarily a game where we were really going to notice it. it it might be like against Luton um, or against Fulham coming up where we really notice Martinez's absence and what he can do with those line-breaking passes and the benefit of having that left foot, right foot combo. Um, but no, I mean if you know the the, the benefit of we you know we talked about the Champions League at the start. The benefit of not being in it is they've got a full week to prepare for virtually every game. Now they've only got two, three. They've only got two midweek fixtures left, which might change if they win another game in the FA Cup. But you know, at the moment, it's virtually three midweeks constantly. So they've got a week to get Shaw right. But you know, they desperately need him to be to be right because. They've got no other left-footed option. and Obviously, they could play Dallow there if Wambasaka's fit, but he missed training on Friday and, and obviously wasn't fit. So, you know, it, it restricts the options. And, I mean, Molassi Malass- has been such a strange one. It feels like he's been close to a return a couple of times and then he's still missing. They sent Reguid on back, which me and Rich again spoke about on Friday. I think seems a bit of a strange move, that one. I don't know why they sent him back. Really, why they went for that break clause when Mal- unless they thought clearly They clearly
0: was thought year was about to be yeah. back, didn't they? And, and he actually had returned to light
1: training on grass, but he since then training, he's yeah. not actually been spotted, which yeah. is a concern. to a yeah, red flag. Yeah, isn't and Damien I mean, Tenark mentioned him on uh, Friday, on his press conference on Thursday, just to say Tiger's still out, which every time he says, I think he means me. I'm like, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm fit, I'm, r- I'm here, I'm raring to go. Um, but, you know, they, they, they exercised that break clause in the first week of January with, with Reguilon. Where they maybe waited a few weeks, they might have thought you're, actually... You were a fan
0: of Reguilon, didn't you? Quite, I always thought, quite.
1: considering how bad the first half of the season was, I thought he showed a lot of character and, and looked. Yeah, I yeah. think in his first few appearances he did quite well, but I think there was a drop-off after that. It's probably a drop-off, but... And he, I mean, he's at Brentford now. He is, I think he's done okay at Brentford. I mean, he's only yeah. played a couple of times. watched him the other night, actually. At, uh, City? Yeah, that was yeah. it yeah I just think I mean we don't know if it's just a precaution with sure then hopefully he'll be fit but having him now would also as we mentioned on Friday give Tenaga the option of playing sure at centre back and, and keeping that left foot option in the build up but he is gone it was 12 and out for Regulon. He's, he's done and dusted mm-hmm. so hopefully Malassu will be back at some point this season opposite side of full back then I think uh, I probably
0: owe Dalo. apology I sat on this podcast last week down the camera, down the camera uh, I, I kind of he's said Diego Dalo was a Europa League standard full back but that cross was not Europa League. That was Champions League, that cross. That was, oh, and... <laughs> um Club World Cup. In all seriousness, no, I mean, we've kind of discussed the battle with Wan-Bissaka at Lemps, haven't we? I'm cautious I've just done the Frank Lampard thing there, where I've went from laughing to serious <laughs> <laughs> in like a few seconds' time. Um, but I think me, you and Rich, we've been edging into the wan Oh, no, we have been in the wan camp. And Samuel, out of the four of us, has been in the Dalot camp. And to be, fair, to be fair to everyone, one second, is between the four of us, I don't think... It's not been a huge sway either side. We've recognised both players' limitations and we all agree, I think, they need a, another right back. Um, but Dallo has been really good since coming back into the team. And wan has only had a, a one-year extension, so it
1: feels now... Wambasaka is going to move away, and, and Dallow is going to cement his position. Yeah, so, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm going to edge myself out of the Wambasaka camp. There, I'm not sure I was ever fully in it. I think I... No, that's my point. I don't think I, <laughs> any of us were fully. Do you know yeah, what I'm trying? I to think say? I always said that Wambasaka, uh, the Dallow had the higher ceiling as a right back. He just hadn't been hitting it since the World Cup, and Wambasaka, you know, showed a fair bit of character to get back in the team last year and has done okay, but. The, there's obvious there's obvious differences between the two when it comes to Dallow going into midfield, which we've started to see a lot more since since Casemiro and Martinez briefly was back. You know, it was obvious against West Ham that Dalo and Wolves that Dallow was moving in field and playing that midfield role again is like I said, that's that's not a cross that Wambasaka was ever gonna deliver. Um, so his his limit attacking wise is is a lot higher than Wan And I think I you know, I think I always felt maybe maybe you can dig out an old podcast contradicting myself, but I'm pretty sure I always have said that Dalo was the one I would keep, and Wembasaka the one I'd sell, and you sign another right back. But there.
0: they have had, I mean, I think you said it's like a coin toss, hasn't it? And it has been. But I feel like now Dallo's come back into the team. I can't see Wembasaka getting back in just because of the contract situation, the way Dallo's playing. I feel this is the last time now we're going to see a change at right
1: back. Yeah. Been and the yeah, the challenge for Dallow was to maintain this because until the World Cup last year, he was probably United's you know, best player or one of their best players. Top row in the Premier League, I think it's fair to say. Yeah, pre World was Cup, at pre-world that World that Cup point. yeah, pre World Cup, he, he'd certainly made that position his own. He'd been one of the one of the big winners under Ten Hag, and then it just it went like that, you know, and it, it was gone for a while. It's not this isn't like he's been this good all of this season. He's he's had struggles at, uh, again this season and. He's hit a, a good patch of form now. He looks like the player everyone kind of knew he could be. But his challenge is, is to be producing this regularly, really. And if he is producing this, you know, if this is now his level, then, yeah, I think he's he's made that position his own. And the only way wan gets back in is an injury or, or Dalo moves to the left.
0: So discussed a lot of positives. I was going to give another shout-out to Inanna as well because I thought yeah. he made a few important saves. But you kind of expressed... Uh, few concerns in the first part they do need to control games better don't they because Villa as we said goals decide games and narratives but Villa could have
1: easily scored themselves and they were kind of on top for a large part of that match yeah they really were and I just think that they've got to I mean I think it's a bit simplistic but one of the reasons they're winning games now when they weren't in the autumn is Anana's making saves and Hoyland scoring goals like I mean, it's a simplistic analysis, but it's true. it's true. That is, you know, that is a big difference to what was happening in the autumn, and Inanna was was really good again. But they just, and I've said this all season, they give up way too many shots to long term be a successful team. And I was, you know, I was looking through the earlier, 16 shots. Tottenham had 16 shots. Wolves had 16 shots. West Ham had 22. Villa had 23. You just. You know, you're, you're living on you're living on the edge, really, winning winning those games. Obviously, the drew against Tottenham. West Ham was we spoke on it last week, and that was a really clinical performance. But West Ham from their 22 shots, they you shouldn't be giving West Ham 22 shots at Old Trafford. Like you shouldn't be giving Wolves 23 on the opening weekend, and it's just happening too often. I was. I was flicking through it before actually, and I know expected goals isn't isn't for everyone. Cup of tea, but Samuel's not, Samuel's not here, so we can we can talk about it. Let's do the XG podcast. <laughs> so only I think it's the last 14 games. It's 12 or 14, can't exactly remember, but basically since the Everton game at Goodison, only one of those games, those twelve or fourteen games, have United kept the opposition under an XG of one. Which feels pretty damning, really. Like if you looked at if you look at all their top four rivals, I bet their records are a lot better than that. Like they're just—they're giving up teams too many chances, and yet brilliant. And honest finding form now, but you can't rely on your keeper to bail you out every week. If you're going to finish in the top four, you've just got to be better. Well, across the season, that's going to level out. And yeah. It, it, yeah. You're going to perform how you uh, yeah. allow in chances. Yeah, exactly. You know, this is the thing. XG doesn't tell you. XG shouldn't be used to tell you this should have happened in this game. But over a season... It's a long-term indicator. It's a long-term indicator, yeah. 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 It's not a 90-minute thing, really. It's a long-term indicator as to what's going to happen. And if you're regularly giving up more than one extra year game, it means you're pretty much going to concede a goal every week, which is, in a way, is what United do. Um, And I just think they've got to tighten up there. And I was going to say it's it's an ongoing defensive issue, but I don't think it is defensive. I think a lot of it's to do with, with midfield. I mean... The space John McGinn got at times yesterday was, was staggering, really. Think, but
0: they don't control games, that's my point. They don't have spells where yeah. they really dominate matches and you can really see them playing the ball around. I mean, there's been glimmers of that in the last few weeks now. Players have come back to fitness. But I mean, Pep Guardiola says that if you have possession, the important can't hurt you, can yeah. they? And that's right. the kind of, I guess, the approach you've got to have. And, and Villa had more of the ball. Yeah, I think you're right. It's not a defensive issue. It is a midfield
1: issue. And you could extend that to the attack as well, because all, it all comes in at one, doesn't it, really? Yeah, yeah. Pressing from the front. Yeah, definitely. I just think too, any, too often players are out of position. And I don't, I don't think that's an individual thing. I think that's a tactical thing from Tanakh. And yeah. I, I still don't think the pressing is what he wants it to be. And he's been here yeah. now for how
0: long? Over 18 months. Yeah. And he's talked about how he wants them to press, but the press still isn't
1: convincing. And that should be right by now. Yeah, I think it probably should, and it. I always just feel like they're they're trying to set up like like a city in a way. You know, I was at City on Saturday, and you see at one point they had a corner, and I noticed what they did from a corner in terms of where they were stationing their deepest players. It's basically the same as what United do, but City gets away with it because they do control games, they do dominate possession, and they've got this structure where you know Guardiola. Guardia doesn't really like counter-attacks he wants his players to make 20-30 passes so that they're all in the right position and if they ever do lose the ball you know, City very rarely get counter-attacked on because when they lose the ball they've got the players in the right position to stop it and the, the classic example for United is going back to last week when they conceded the third at Wolves and as soon as that happened I can't remember what it was but as soon as the Wolves player got the ball in the centre circle and it was basically a 2-on-2 or a 3-on-3 I just turned to Samuel and said how are they getting counter-attacked on? Like, how is this happening at 3-2 up in the 95th minute? It was unbelievable. It was it, yeah. that really poor game management. But yeah.
0: Andy lost the ball, didn't he? But even then, they could have still stopped it. Yeah,
1: and occasionally that's going to happen. You are, it's a corner. There's a good chance. you 3-2 up, you should not leave yeah, yourself you exposed yeah. to deal with it. And I just feel like there's, there's structural issues there that mean they're still, they're still too easy to play against at times. and that's what I keep it shouldn't be the case should it
0: after this long you can kind of when, I guess in a manager's first season in charge you can you have the benefit of the doubt you give them time they're adapting especially because it was his first job in the Premier League but after a certain period of
1: time these doubts structural doubts should not yeah. exist no they shouldn't they shouldn't and I do think if they continue to be like this then they I, they won't get top four for me If that's, if well, that's all, that was my last question for this part yeah. what can you foresee for the rest of the season I mean this month
0: Always felt like it was going to be a huge month. There's obviously some big games. Um, Luton at the weekend, then Fulham. Um, I was just checking who else they've got off the top of my head. Forest in the cup. Then it's that's the Manchester Derby title, start of March. Um, Everton at home. It's a big few weeks. It is a really big few weeks. But I think the encouraging thing is there is momentum now. And they are starting to peak, as I said, at the right time yeah. of the
1: season. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's things working in their favour. That momentum. That character I talked about before that I feel is a a major change from earlier in the season. Anana making says, Anana's form, Hoyland's form. There's obvious things you can look at and you think that's a big improvement. Do you not think City's going to be the big uh, indicator then? Because
0: after weeks of progress and us praising positively, it it could potentially be the real acid test and it will show how much progress they've actually made because they are genuinely. Yeah. excellent opposition. They've not been at like, the best this season, but they're uh, still top. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't so, think
1: it, as, long as, as long as they don't lose five or six nil. If they go to City and lose, you know, I, I don't think it will. It should have that much bearing on on the top four, really, because no one's expecting them to win there. You know, that's not United's fight at the moment. That's the the reality of it. I mean, the fixture list is interesting because they've played Villa twice now. They've played Tottenham twice now. That's realistically, I think it's between those three for fourth, fifth, and sixth. And they've got they've, United have still got the top three left to play. And then, other than that, I think they've got you know Newcastle, Brighton, and Chelsea to yeah, play, but they haven't got their direct rivals to take points off, which probably makes it a little bit trickier when you're doing the chasing, I think. So, the, there's probably a likelihood that if they're going to get it, they will need to get a result against City, Liverpool, or Arsenal. Um, and they'll
0: need Tottenham
1: to slip up in, yeah. in places, maybe only one of them, because I think fifth would probably be enough. But I just if they continue to average the opposition, giving the opposition 17, 18 shots a game, I just think they're going to concede too many goals to get top four. So as as positive as the last month, six weeks have been, as positive as all those improvements are that I've just mentioned, I still think there's there's more that needs to be done. They need to be harder to play against, I think, to, to get fourth. I'm a glass half full kind of guy, but I'd, uh, I'd have to agree. I think it's probably going to be one step
0: too far because... The first six months of the season were just so poor, weren't they? Yeah. And they've, they've left themselves a, a big challenge. It's, it's only six or seven points, that's the thing, but it's the way, as you said, as they've been playing. Yeah. If you play like that and continue to play like that, although that has been encouraging signs, it probably doesn't bode well. I mean, the one,
1: the one encouraging thing for them is that, I'm not sure if they can catch Tottenham, but Villa, Villa, it feels like the momentum we've talked about. United momentum, it's it's working in the opposite way for Villa. They've started losing home games. I could look. I, I think United will finish fifth, and I think Tottenham will finish fourth. Fifth, I, yeah. I think fifth will probably be enough. Yeah. Well, is that how it works with the? Yeah, as long as there's Premier League's in the top two. Well, as we're going the to say, yeah. I think they're top at the moment, but a lot can change. I mean, if United finish fifth, they might need. City to win the Champions League and Liverpool <laughs> to win the Europa League or something like that but I think United would rather be United know yeah, yeah. the Europa thing, League Yeah Probably come like April in semi-finals we'll have a better understanding of like how that's working out but you'd think you know, you'd think City would go pretty close again and you'd think Liverpool, Brighton, Villa, West Ham all still in Europe that You'd fancy Liverpool to win the Europa League this yeah, year Yeah you think enough teams would go far enough to make fifth enough for United That's it for part two then we'll be back in a moment for part three
0: Welcome back to part three of the Manchester Is Red podcast. Uh, Ty, we'll get into some transfer bits here. Uh, Samuel wrote a line today about Bayer Leverkusen defenders, Jeremy Frimpong and Edmund Tapsoba. Um, some interest from United. There has been some long standing interest in Frimpong. Um, a very exciting right back. Obviously, Tapsoba as a centre half. Um, we were just discussing earlier on down in the office. Um, Frimpong's goal and assist contribution this season, which you look at it on paper, it's fantastic. I mean, eight goals, ten assists, Leverkusen are flying at the top of the league,
1: they beat Bayern Munich at the weekend. He scored in that as well, didn't he? He got a really good goal, yeah. Neuer was up for a corner at the I end. I mean, we've just discussed Dallowan Basaka there, but Frimpong would definitely be an upgrade, wouldn't he? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't, I don't know enough about him to know his defensive qualities. Definitely care. is a big statement, Qualities. would you say he definitely is an upgrade then?
0: Yeah, I think he's yeah. got be,
1: hasn't he? Um,
0: I mean, I can't. If, if you put either of those players in the Bundesliga, I couldn't see them performing like that. So no, on that, but
1: it's attacking output. He's, you know, even you put Wamba Saka in that Leverkusen team, he ain't doing that. Um, but they do play. You know, Leverkusen do play wing backs, and they play very advanced wing backs. If you look at, I think Grimaldo's their left wing back. I think he's got a similar number of goals and assists. And their wing backs are basically wingers slash attackers. He's actually been put down as right midfield on a on transfer market. If I've looked at how often he's played yeah, on Denver that side, playing. but yeah, right wing back. He is a very attacking fullback. Yeah, player. yeah. And the way they've played under Alonso this year, like I say, I think those two, those two wing backs are in, and maybe their second and third top scorers or something like this. Um, they are really, really attacking. So I guess the challenge would be coming into a back four and, and doing it in a back four. Um, don't know. You know, I, I don't know enough about Frimpong to know how often he's played in a back four or whatnot. I think he has done it, but. Like I say, Alonso, Alonso's Leverkusen this year, are, the wing-backs are almost like wingers, they're, they're that advanced. Um, but his numbers speak for themselves, the, the quality of his play, for his, his goal at the weekend was fantastic, really. I think he put the ball up in his own half when Noi was up for a corner, but he beat, beat a couple of men, but it took him right to the touchline, but his finish from a tight angle was, was absolutely amazing. So, you know, he does look a, a serious talent and... Again, I don't know a lot about the centre-back other than that he's been pretty highly rated in the Bundesliga for two or three years now. So two two players who are clearly, you know, we've talked about that momentum before, they're, they're clearly benefiting from what Alonso's done at Leverkusen over the last year or 18 months or so. He's, he's brought players on an awful lot there. He's, he's clearly a very good coach because some of those players have improved beyond recognition. And those two are, are probably two examples of them. In terms of the
0: priorities then, I mean, obviously that's a right back in the centre-half. Um could be some departures Johnny Evans is out of contract I'd actually give him a a cheeky one year extension Um, I know his injury there was concerns about his injury record but he has had a few problems but he's been available for a large amount of fixtures and he's actually had a really good season I'd give him an extension for the sole reason that I think Varane's going to leave and is two departures advisable if you give Evans another, another year, bring in another centre-half. So if we're seeing they're going to sign a centre-half tie and, and a right-back, which of our areas? We talked about a striker. Ironically, you could kind of go through four or five
1: positions and say that they need them. You could, yeah. Which we usually do. We usually do, yeah. We usually do. I mean, a, a striker, with Marshall going, a striker is clearly an absolute must. I think if wambasaka Basaka goes, I mean, I think, you know, we've said right-back is, is due an upgrade for a while now and then, but that's my point so then if Marshall's going Mambasaka's going a centre half for Ryan potentially even Maguire could go potentially the, the centre back issue is an interesting one because it depends on how many go because you, you look at that and Martinez is probably the only one guaranteed to stay maybe Maguire now but you know, there's always the possibility that if Maguire is told his third or fourth choice that the calibre of clubs interested in in this year might, might be better so maybe it seems an opportune moment for, for both parties but Lindelof, no, Lindelof's been really reliable for United, but at at some point, will they want an upgrade or will he want to go and play elsewhere? Varane, he's he's out of contract this summer. He's clearly not going to get a deal at United on the same money he's on. So it feels like there's a lot lot of road to run on that in terms of whether they can come to an agreement. But you'd expect at least one centre-back to go. Um, So I guess it depends at centre-back how many... Leave, but it's almost like the hands are tied already. Even months ahead of the summer transfer window, when we're discussing these departures from the squad, you're going yeah. to have to fill them. Yeah, you are. And the, the you know we're talking about the Champions League. I asked Ten in the Sunday section of his press conference on Thursday about this. You know, we, we know how tight United are with the Premier League's financial rules. And earlier in January, Ten made a pretty telling point when asked about signing a striker, and he was like, "I looked, and there is no money." Like it, it, he, I, it that felt like him making the point that like I'm not surprised there's no money spent 400 million in two oh, no, summer no, transfer exactly,
0: windows yeah. I mean I've got the fees up here yeah. I mean 81.9 this is without add-ons 81.9 uh, on Anthony 64 on Holland, 60 on Casimiro, 55 on Mount 46.8 on Martinez 43.8 on Anana, and 12.9 on Malassia Ericsson was a free transfer I'll again stress those transfer fees are without the add-ons I wasn't going to rattle them on as well yeah. but with the add-ons as well that's over in excess We're of on. 400 million yeah. and that's spent over two
1: windows that's not sustainable because that is a lot of money that is a lot of money but if if, if they don't get in the Champions League it is going to have a major major effect on their budget this summer and I asked Tanag about that and he said you know he he kind of admitted the budget would be affected and said we'll have more financial power if we're in the Champions League so if they only finish sixth you know and the players they're losing Martial is on a free Varane would be on a free Wambasaka gets some money for probably not loads so I would worry for them And and what they can actually do in the transfer window this summer? If I think that they're really hoping Sevilla trigger Hannibal's uh, seventy million permanent. I think they'd consider selling a McTominay or a Maguire just because, though, especially McTominay is an academy graduate or a Lindelof whose fee is is all paid off now. You know, players who would be pure profit because they would just have to. And we're talking about a right back, a centre back, a striker. You're probably looking over a hundred million just for those three, really. you know, I, I don't think anywhere else really needs an upgrade. I don't think, you know, with Manu's emergence, I don't think you're crying out for a midfielder. Or, well, it
0: begs know. the question
1: why Mason Mount was signed, wasn't it, last, and in hindsight, in the summer. Yeah, maybe, yeah, kind of and I mean, De Jong might be on the market now in the summer. I th- I'm sure he won't has his name again. Not spent on Mount and gone for De Jong, oh, We're not so. doing that again this yeah. summer. Frankie De Jong, Unless yeah, right. Let's hope not. But I think, you know, the difference between Champions League and non-Champions League in terms of what United can do transfer-wise this summer, I think is going to be it, it, yeah, it's going to be really, really substantial because we know how much extra revenue comes with the Champions League compared to even the Europa League. But I mean, in all likelihood, as we just discussed before, chances are the might be playing
0: Europa League football next season which will have ramifications I mean we're doing this podcast on the 12th of February we're just
1: we are there's lots of ifs and bots and maybes in our answers here. <laughs> not a lot of absolutes is no, there? very few absolutes
0: <laughs> just to finish up then uh, Lone Watch uh, Fecundo Pellestri scored against Barcelona 3-3 yeah. uh, three, three in the end a draw in the Liga we've kind of talked about his limitations at the club he was kind of given a few chances this season I think back to the game against Bayern Munich away from home I think that was his big moment but he didn't really take it he started away against Bayern um, but look a, a decent start for, for and it's Granada isn't it Grenada. I was going to say Gaddafi that's Greenwood um Greenwood what do you think yeah I mean it was a, a tap in really wasn't it that he kind of—he missed one before that. The, the ball actually got played
1: over the top, and it was—it was a very decent chance. But he fired one yeah. wide. Yeah, you're right. It was a tapping. It was a tapping. But still, scoring against Barcelona is—is a—you a, know—tick the right box for sure. And just—he just needs to go and play games, doesn't he? I think. You know, I'd be surprised if he made it. United now at, at 22, really, and you know, Ten Hag has, has barely ever started him. That, that buying game aside, really. So I think for someone like Pelestra, I think it's just a case of get if he can get games between now and the end of the season and, and get five goals few assists something like that then he, he puts himself in the shot window which is good for him and, and good for United really uh, well we talked about his transfer fee I think two
0: weeks ago when our editor was leaving we had a brief 10 million the thing is I mean he is a Uruguay
1: international and he does start for Uruguay as well he does under Bielsa yeah. yeah I mean there's, there's, there's clearly a player there like I said I've never I've never watched him really for United and thought he's, he's, he's going to definitely make it. I think he's had his moment as an impact sub and as a sub, a lot of games when he's come on as a sub, he has made a difference um, but long term, I don't think he's ever looked a United you know, player but you know, his, his stature and his skill set might be better suited to La Liga. The yeah. problem with selling to La Liga is that none of those clubs have got any money whatsoever. There's
0: not much money around Europe at all. That's the challenge.
1: Selling players abroad is, is really problematic at the moment. Like Van der Beek, I mean, Eintracht Frankfurt have got that option Der Beek. you can tell you now they ain't going to be taking it I actually um, feel sorry for him. I I mean well I know me and Samuel got
0: into it a bit we um, discussed his poor start but just, I think, uh, two hours after that podcast finished, it emerged that it had been omitted from their conference league squad. Mm-hmm. And to be omitted from the conference league squad after being there for a few weeks yeah. is so damning. It is, it's a massive blow. I'm actually writing something on him for the weekend. Not that it's not been done. <laughs> Book and verse. Yeah. There's no new angle there, is there. I might as well talk about Ahmad quickly then before finishing the podcast. Now we've gotten to Palestry because Palestri had this is now his third loan. And, if you go on free loans away from a club, you're likely not to succeed yeah. there. I think it's fair to say. Ahmad had one. It was very successful. Um, two, sorry, as well. The Rangers, yeah, sure. but that was a failed stint. But Sunderland's spell was was excellent. Um, Tenog's made the decision to keep him for the rest of the season. But he's not getting a game. I think a few people would have
1: expected to see him a bit more of him in the last few weeks. And it's just not happened. No, it's not. It's not. And I still, you know... If Tenag is going to make a change down the right, either before game or in-game, it's, it's going to be Anthony, isn't it, coming on for Ganacho at the moment. It's, it's difficult to see where Ahmad's games come because United have got 14 league games left, of which everyone is a cup final, as Tenag described them last week. And I'm already sick of that, by the way. Oh, yeah. Every answer yeah, yeah. is now. I mean, every every yeah. manager seems to be talking about how games are cup finals now. It's a little bit a little bit boring. So the Twitter account, it's Brian's
0: gun, and they do the... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That'll be yeah, in yeah, that, that soon. Well, that's probably already
1: been done, to be fair. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I, it's difficult to see where his games come from. Maybe a couple of sub appearances, but beyond that, you know, I, I can't see him starting the game. It's, it's <sighs> You start to think it's maybe heading towards a point where he's sold in the summer because he's just he's not really had the chance at United and that, you know, that injury he had at the start of the season has, has really damaged him at a time when he was not damaged him but damaged his prospects at United because
0: there was a lot of cup games and it was the start of yeah. the season and that
1: was the opportunity to get yeah, a chance yeah, league cup games you know I was going to say Champions League games 5th and 6th Champions League games but they actually they were quite crucial, in the end, quite crucial yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, but they would have expected the see well in an ideal world that group would
1: have been Stunned and dusted it. with yeah. a few two games to go Yeah and it's the, you know that, that stage of the season is the opportunity for players like that to get games but that injury took away a lot of his momentum and, and I think has harmed his prospects and if we get to the summer and he's made you know he's played like 100 minutes probably less than that for United this season it's it's hard to see where he goes from there beyond the sale especially when we've seen how ruthless Ten Tenark has been with those kind of Twenty-year-old academy products who should be in the team or or not? I think he's a better prospect than Pelestri, purely because yeah. I couldn't imagine Palashu
0: having the same impact in the championship. Yeah. It's a di- it's a different division, isn't it? And different skill sets. But Palashu, like you say, are probably in the Liga. But Ahmed was fantastic in the championship, yeah, it and it's we've seen over the years the, the type of players to make the step up from the championship. Drew Belling, Jared Bowen. It is actually a really good yeah. kind of uh, education yeah, right, for these players. Yeah, yeah so. Uh, it'll be a shame, I guess,
1: but you're right. It's, it's circumstances, and when's he going to get a game? He just probably isn't, is he? No, no, I don't know. I just uh, I can't see a scenario unless there's loads more injuries. I can't see a scenario where he he plays much at all between the end of the season. Anything else? Uh... To add time on our little
0: transfer segment?
1: Uh, transfer no. mix segment, wasn't it? No, I, I, well, think I think it's so fair to see. Is that all wrapped up? I don't think we're else. We are months away from the next transfer window, <laughs> so I think we've we've done well to speak about it for that long, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much for your time, Tyrone. Thank you, Stephen. And thanks to listeners as usual. Check out
0: the Manchester It's Red podcast on YouTube and across our social channels. We'll be back on Friday as we look ahead to the Luton game. Have a great week and take care.